0: Hello and welcome to The Corporate Casket, a semi weekly series where bad businesses go to die. We will discuss any and everything from bad charities, terrible CEOs, and businesses that have a lot to hide. I'm The Illuminati, and today we're going to be talking about Victoria's Secret. As of writing this, news has recently broke that Victoria's Secret is, as one headline puts it, swapping angels for what women want. There's been a lot of speculation if Victoria's Secret will actually stay true to their word though, considering their history. But what exactly is their history? I'm sure it's not going to surprise many of you that there have been accusations of misogynistic attitudes among the higher ups and models have faced sexual harassment, but to what extent? Is it really the culture of Victoria's Secret or just a few terrible individuals? Today, we're going to take a look at that all the way to the end, and I'll let you determine if you think Victoria's Secret actually deserves a second chance. I do want to give a content warning here and say that sexual harassment will be mentioned pretty frequently in this episode. Normally, I'd say that you could skip over those parts, but because it's so pivotal to many of the points we're going to be discussing today, skipping over it isn't really going to be possible. So if that's something you might be sensitive to, please make sure to skip over today's episode and I'll see you in the next one. Now let's dive right in and start, as always, with the company history. Roy Raymond founded Victoria's Secret in the 70s after the sexual revolution had started, but before companies had time to catch up. As Roy explained, in the 60s and 70s, when he wanted to buy lingerie for his wife, he was, quote, faced with racks of terry cloth robes and ugly floral print nylon nightgowns. I always had the feeling the department store saleswoman thought I was an unwelcome intruder, end quote. This gave Roy the idea to start Victoria's Secret. He co-founded the company with his wife Gay in 1977. According to Naomi Barr, who wrote an article about the company's founding on Slate, Raymond imagined a Victorian boudoir replete with dark wood, oriental rugs and silk drapery. He chose the name Victoria to evoke the propriety and respectability associated with the Victorian era. Outwardly refined, Victoria's secrets were hidden beneath. In 1977, with $80,000 of savings and loans from family, Raymond and his wife leased a space in a small shopping mall in Palo Alto, California, and Victoria's Secret was born. To understand how novel Raymond's idea was, it helps to have a little context. In the 1950s and 60s, underwear was all about practicality and durability. For most American women, sensual lingerie was reserved for the honeymoon or the anniversary night. Fredericks of Hollywood was the granddaddy of specialty lingerie retailers. When the women's movement of the late 1960s and 70s called for women to liberate themselves from the bondage of bras, the intimate apparel industry responded with new designs that they claimed would give women the natural look they desired without the embarrassment of a sagging bus line. For the most part, underwear remained functional, not fun. Victoria's Secret changed that, and I give Raymond credit for this much. Sure, I won't pretend that this move didn't benefit Raymond himself being a man who may have wanted to see his partner in more lingerie, but it's good to see that these options were becoming more available. Some women may want to wear something more comfortable, practical, or those types of options, but there's plenty that enjoy the fun options for themselves too. So hey, the more the better. Victoria's Secret did well at first too, sort of. In the Bay Area, sales boomed. And by 1982, Raymond had owned multiple locations and the company had annual sales of more than $4 million. But somehow, Victoria's Secret was nearing bankruptcy. Why? Well, in part, it was because of Raymond's idea of Victorian, Leslie Wexner, a man who ushered in the mass market sportswear boom with the store The Limited, stated that, quote, it was a small store and it was Victorian, not English Victorian, but brothel Victorian with red velvet sofas, but there was very sexy lingerie, End quote. To put it simply, women were uncomfortable in the store, the same way that Raymond was uncomfortable in the department store. He'd created a store that Wexner compared to a brothel, what he viewed as sexy, as opposed to a place women would want to shop. This article states that the models looked, quote, uncomfortably like Susan Sarandon's high-end prostitute in Pretty Baby, end quote. In short, the company's problem is that they weren't catering to women who would be wearing these products, but men. Does that sound familiar? Yeah, because this is literally the problem that many have still said about Victoria's Secret today. Nevertheless, Wexner saw the potential in the company and in 1982, he bought the stores and catalog for about 1 million, though this article states 4 million is the number and that's most often mistakenly reported. Wexner began studying European lingerie boutiques whose customers saw lingerie as an essential, not a luxury. The catalog, which was described as modern and racy, softened to become more glamorous. The stores once filled with dark woods and deep reds were now covered in floral prints and old timey perfume bottles and gilded fixtures. Tragically, even as Victoria's Secret success grew, Raymond floundered. He tried opening another retail and catalog company, but it failed and Raymond was forced to file for chapter 11 bankruptcy. He and his wife divorced in 1993. Raymond jumped to his death from the Golden Gate Bridge. Though Raymond had passed away, Wexner continued to build his empire. The Limited is where it truly began, but Wexner is also known for having had a hand in Abercrombie & Fitch, Express, and Bath & Body Works. So let's take a brief pause to discuss who this titan of industry was, as well as some disturbing connections he had at the time. Now, in an upcoming episode that I'm going to be doing about Abercrombie & Finch, I did find out that they were acquired by The Limited in 1988. However, since Victoria's Secret came first and since these worrying relationships are far more present in Victoria's Secret, this is the episode I figured I would discuss the elephant in the room, the founder of The Limited, Les Wexner, had an incredibly close relationship with Jeffrey Epstein. The Disturbing History of Epstein is an entirely separate episode, but just to give you a very brief rundown on who he is, if you have no idea, he was the founder of the firm J. Epstein & Co. He managed more than a billion dollars worth of assets and had relationships with powerful people such as Bill Clinton, Donald Trump, and Prince Andrew. He was also a disgusting pedophile who sex trafficked children and died in prison. Again, his actions could be an entirely separate video, so I'm not going to truly focus on who he was today. The only context you really need to know here is that Epstein sex trafficked minors, and that should tell you enough about him really. And he and Wexner, well, they weren't just close, but close enough to draw speculation. According to New York Magazine, as of 2002, Epstein, who was said to have run $15 billion for wealthy clients, and yet aside from limited founder, Leslie Wexner, his client list was a closely held secret. Wexner, who is said to be worth more than $2.5 billion by Forbes, became an Epstein client in 1987, the article reads. It's a weird relationship, says another Wall Streeter who knows Epstein. It's just not typical for someone of such enormous wealth to all of a sudden give his money to some guy most people have never heard of. The Wexner-Epstein relationship is indeed a multifaceted one. Given the secrecy that envelops Epstein's client list, some have speculated that Wexner is the primary source of Epstein's lavish life but friends leap to his defense. Let me tell you, Jeffrey Epstein has other clients besides Wexner. I know because some of them are my clients, says noted M&A lawyer, Dennis Block of Cadwallader, Wickersham and Taft. I sent him a $500 million client a few years ago and he wouldn't take him, said the account was too small. Both the client and I were amazed, but that's Jeffrey. This was written in 2002. So, you know, I'd like to think that no one in their right mind would leap to defend any of Epstein's actions these days. But hey, maybe they were just close business partners, right? Maybe Wexner had absolutely no idea what Epstein was doing behind closed doors. Well, it turns out that's just wishful thinking. In fact, Wexner absolutely and unequivocally knew that Epstein abused women. After all, some of the women he abused were models looking to work for Victoria's Secret. One New York Times article tells Alicia Arden's story from 1997 when she was a model in California. She was introduced to a man who identified himself as a talent scout for Victoria's Secret, a man named Jeffrey Epstein. He apparently invited her to his hotel room to audition and then grabbed her, tried to undress her, and said he wanted to manhandle her. As far as I and this article can tell, Wexner did absolutely nothing when this information came back to her, despite being alerted. The exact words used are, it is unclear what action, if any, Mr. Wexner took in response. But Epstein developed an unusually strong hold on Mr. Wexner. Nor was this a one-time thing, just to clarify. He did this as early as 1993, four years before Alicia was assaulted. Using his connections to Victoria's Secret was a frequently used card of his, a way he could take advantage and prey upon women. Whether or not anyone knew of how sinister things were about to become, there was already no denying how odd the relationship between the two of them was. This article reads, within years of meeting Mr. Epstein, Mr. Wexner handed him sweeping powers over his finances, philanthropy, and private life according to interviews with people who knew the men as well as court documents and financial records. Mr. Wexner authorized him to borrow money on his behalf to sign his tax returns to hire people and to make acquisitions. Over the years, Mr. Epstein obtained a New York mansion, a private plane, and a luxury estate in Ohio, today valued at roughly $100 million altogether, previously owned by Mr. Wexner or his companies. At the time, he drove a wedge between Mr. Wexner and longtime associates and friends. Virtually from the moment in the 1980s that Mr. Epstein arrived on the scene in Columbus, Ohio, where L Brands were based, Mr. Weckner's friends and colleagues were mystified as to why a renowned businessman in the prime of his career would place such a trust in an outsider with a thin resume and scant financial experience." Now, this is where I would normally say that this doesn't mean Wexner knew about sex trafficking and it's dangerous to speculate if he did. However, recent evidence published by Vanity Fair suggests Wexner knew very well about Epstein's trafficking too. Apparently Wexner only cut Epstein out of his life or at the very least refused to discuss him around the time when he was caught for soliciting a minor for prostitution, but he'd ignored frequent and desperate warnings from others around him that told him that Epstein was doing this. One man, Robert Meister had an insurance firm that worked for the limited. Robert himself is the one responsible for introducing Wexner and Epstein around 1986 or 1987 when their relationship began. Soon after these introductions were made, Robert began hearing some disturbing stories about Epstein. Think of whatever the worst thing anyone could do is, and Epstein did them all, Meester said. The breaking point came when Epstein showed up unannounced at Meester's Park Avenue apartment with five models for Meester's sexual entertainment. Epstein thought he was bringing me a gift, Meester recalled. I told him, get the fuck out. I never wanna see you again. Meester told Wexner what he'd heard, begged him not to get involved with his shady character, but Wexner ignored him. As the article explains, Wexner was an introvert. For him, Epstein was a social connector who populated his life with glittery people. Wexner was not only seemingly wearing rose-colored glasses around Epstein, but he was actively ignoring warnings from those that insisted Epstein was a dangerous person. That may not make him guilty of sex trafficking, but is ignoring sex trafficking something to be proud of either? I don't think so. Multiple people warned Wexner, yet he did nothing. And if anything, Wexner simply enabled him. Vanity Fair writes, Since Epstein's death in August, 2019, Wexner's professional life has been in a tailspin. The board of L Brands, The Limited, was renamed in 2013, hired Davis Polk to conduct an investigation into Wexner's relationship with Epstein. The investigation was never made public, but months later, Wexner stepped down as CEO, ending his run as the longest serving chief executive in the S&P 500. Wexner's problems only deepened. Shareholders sued Elbrands, alleging the Davis-Polk investigation was a whitewash. Elbrands retained the law firm Watchell Lipton to conduct a second investigation into the Wexner and Epstein dealings. This past May, Wexner stepped down from the Lbrands board, ending his last official role in the company he founded more than half a century ago. As of writing this, this Vanity Fair article only came out about a week and a half ago, two weeks ago, and no information about these investigations has been released. This situation may be updated, but I honestly doubt it, at least for some time. Considering that Wexner stepped down from both companies and two investigations were conducted, I think it's pretty safe to say that Wexner knew far more than he'd ever be willing to let on. There are also allegations floating around that Epstein also had a role in Wexner's charity, the Wexner Foundation, although I'm not sure we have any concrete answers there. All right, so now that we've talked about the despicable people that ran this company, let's get back to Victoria's Secret and their company culture. Not only were Wexner and his good buddy Epstein at the top of this company, but the chief marketing officer, Ed Rosnick, was running it. For decades, he was one of the top executives at Limited, or L Brands. And unsurprisingly, he too sexually harassed the Victoria's Secret models, and I'm sure this is not a surprise to anyone at this point. Wexner did nothing about it. Some like Andy Muse said she even faced retaliation after she rebuffed Ed's advances. She was no longer hired for their fashion shows. Ed was the subject of repeated complaints, trying to kiss models, asking them to sit in his lap and touching them inappropriately. What was most alarming to me as someone who was always raised as an independent woman was just how ingrained this behavior was, said Casey Crow Taylor, a former public relations employee at Victoria's Secret who said she had witnessed Mr. Raznick's conduct. This abuse was just laughed off and accepted as normal. It was almost like brainwashing, and anyone who tried to do anything about it wasn't just ignored, they were punished. And yet publicly, Rasnik said that nothing matters more to him than a model's comfort. He stated in an interview, over 25 years, 7,500 photo shoots, we had one incident and handled it immediately. I'd take that record. I had a hairstylist on a shoot who was rude to one of the models and I fired him on the spot. He asked, how do I go home? I said, swim. Rasnick speaks as if he's some champion to women here when as far as I can see, he's the one who created a company culture where women were consistently abused by him no less. Seriously, if you look up any kind of uh, sexual assault allegations at the company, his name is one that will show up most frequently. These fashion shows especially were supposedly Rasnick's legacy at the company and where he preyed upon women the most. Modeling for a lingerie company is not an invitation for sexual harassment, but he sure as hell treated it like one. According to this article, two models said he had asked them to private dinners with him. One was Mrs. Muse. In 2007, after two years of wearing the coveted angel wings in the Victoria's Secret runway show, the 19-year-old was invited to dinner with Mr. Raznick. She was excited to cultivate a professional relationship with one of the fashion industry's most powerful men, she said. Mr. Raznick picked her up in a chauffeured car. On the way to the restaurant, he tried to kiss her, she said. Mrs. Muse rebuffed him. Mr. Raznick persisted. For months, he sent her intimate emails, which the Times reviewed. At one point, he suggested they move in together at his house in Turks and Caicos. Another time, he urged Miss Muse to help him find a home in the Dominican Republic for them to share. I need someplace sexy to take you, he wrote. Miss Muse maintained a polite tone in her emails, trying to protect her career. When Mr. Rasnick asked her to come to his New York home for dinner, Miss Muse said the prospect of dining alone with Mr. Rasnick made her uneasy. She skipped the dinner. She soon learned that for the first time in four years, Victoria's Secret had not picked her for its 2008 fashion show. Apparently, while supermodel Bella Hadid was being fitted for underwear that would meet broadcast standards, he even said, forget the panties, the TV network would quote, let Miss Hadid walk down the runway with those perfect titties, end quote. One witness remembers him saying breasts, not titties, but the message is the same. At that same fitting in 2018, he placed his hand on another supermodel's underwear clad crotch. But sure, this is the same man who believes nothing matters more than a model's comfort. I wonder why there have been so many HR complaints against him. Not that HR did anything as far as some models have found, such as Mrs. Crow Taylor, who Raznick publicly berated about her weight for getting seconds after a buffet lunch. This behavior was so bad that even Rasnick's own son, Scott, partook in it. Daddy got him a job there and Scott decided to emulate his father's behavior. When HR was told now that they had Scott to worry about on top of his dad, he was transferred to Bath & Body Works, according to people familiar with the matter. Whatever Scott did must have been especially awful as the woman he mistreated was given a settlement with the company. Ultimately, all of this culminated in an open letter to the CEO, John Mayas, in 2020. Over 100 models signed it with the letter citing Rasnick and Wexner's behavior specifically. Sarah Ziff, a longtime model and founder and executive director of the Model Alliance told Business Insider that she'd been speaking with L Brands about harassment issues for months, yet no one would take them seriously. The open letter in part reads the following. Dear Mr. Mayhouse, the Model Alliance met with L Brands Victoria's Secret five months ago and proposed that the company take concrete action to change its culture of misogyny and abuse. The company refused to act. L Brands Victoria's Secret declined to make binding commitments to protect models and other workers from harassment by joining the RESPECT program. Here they talk about the allegations we went over that were detailed in the New York Times article. When the Model Alliance met with Tammy Roberts Myers, chief communications officer of L Brands in New York City last September, it was made abundantly clear that Victoria's Secret does not take these complaints seriously. In a follow-up email, she told us that Victoria's Secret was not ready to take any concrete steps towards addressing these allegations. Rather, the company is simply in the process of continued learning and listening. In the face of the horrifying revelations from the past year, this response is utterly unacceptable. The time for listening is long past. It's time for Victoria's Secret to take action to protect the people they profit from. Human rights violations can't be stopped with a corporate rebranding exercise. We invite Victoria's Secret to work together with us to address these problems and to engage in meaningful action by joining the Respect Program. We stand with the courageous women who have come forward and shared their stories despite fears of retaliation or harm to their careers. Their stories deserve respect. Join us. Sincerely, Model Alliance. The letter also discusses what the Respect Program from the Alliance would entail and how it would mean holding people that abuse these women accountable for their actions. The Victoria's Secret fashion show already ended by this point in massive part because of this criticism. Although famous supermodels have built great careers for themselves thanks to Victoria's Secret and its fashion shows, the show clearly isn't worth keeping around if it can't be safe for the women that work there. Victoria's Secret have agreed to evolve its advertising, but as this letter points out, the problem with Victoria's Secret was never just the marketing, but the company as a whole. We will get into the harmful marketing in just a moment as that is important, but Victoria's Secret was rotten to the core and we need to finish digging into that first. Now, frankly, I think there's already mountains of evidence as to why Victoria's Secret needs to change. With these higher-ups gone, I do believe that it may have a better chance at doing so, so long as people like Ed Rasnick and Wexner don't have any say in what's happening. However, I do briefly want to touch on the argument that might be made, that Victoria's Secret has never been made for all women. And again, given everything we've already said, this seems pretty obvious, but it's an important point that needs to be made. Not only were Wexner and Rasnick abusing their power, but I feel like this brand was also just a way for them to live out their own sexual fantasies, as opposed to it ever being a brand about women. If you need more proof of that, well, look no further than Rasnick's own words. In an interview with Vogue in 2018, Raznick was asked if they had any plans for the Instagram generation. The executive vice president of public relations, Mitro, states that 30A to 40 triple D for bra sizes is their range. Raznick tags on to this quote So it's like, why don't you do 50? Why don't you do 60? Why don't you do 24? It's like, why doesn't your show do this? Shouldn't you have transsexuals in the show? No. No, I don't think we should. Well, why not? because the show is a fantasy. It's a 42 minute entertainment special. That's what it is. It is the only one of the kind in the world and any other fashion brand in the world would take it in a minute, including the competitors that are carping at us. And they carpet us because we're the leader. They don't talk about each other. I accept that. I actually respect it. Cool, but we're nobody's third love. And an editor's note here, third love is a competitor that has received investment from a former CEO of Victoria's Secret Stores. We're their first love and Victoria's Secret has been women's first love from the beginning." End quote. Now there are so, so many things wrong with this entire statement, but let me start off with the obvious here. The term transsexual is considered largely outdated and offensive to many. And saying that you won't include transgender women in your show because it's a fantasy is at best a weak argument. And at worst, it's downright discriminatory. No one cares if trans people don't fit into your fantasy, Resnick. The show isn't about you and your objectifying fantasy anyways. If Victoria's Secret actually wants to be a women's first love, then the show should be a fantasy for women and it should be an entertainment special for women and it should include all women. If a small brand had a range of 30A to 40 D and said, hey, we plan on expanding when we have the capabilities, but for now we're focused on perfecting the products that we do have, I don't think I would dispute that as much. But this is Victoria's Secret, a massive company that Rasnik even calls the leader among their competitors, and this is their attitude. Truthfully, I can't even find anyone aside from Wexner that genuinely seems to like Rasnik. The woman he was interviewed alongside, Monica Mitro, also lodged a harassment complaint against him, by the way. She was fired for having gone to the board of directors instead of HR. She said she only did so because she didn't trust HR and justifiably so. She recently reached a settlement with the company, thankfully, but it just amazes me in a horrible sort of way how Raznik can say that Victoria's secret is all for women while sitting next to a woman that would later be fired for complaining about his harassment against her. Third Love also responded to Rasnick's comments in their own open letter written by co-founder and CEO, Heidi Zack, and it read, "'Your show may be a fantasy, but we live in reality. "'Our reality is that women wear bras in real life "'as they go to work, breastfeed their children, "'play sports, care for ailing parents, "'and serve their country.'" Haven't we moved beyond outdated ideas of femininity and gender roles? It's time to stop telling women what makes them sexy. Let us decide. We're done with pretending certain sizes don't exist or aren't important enough to serve. And please stop insisting that inclusivity is a trend. I founded Third Love five years ago because it was time to create a better option. Third Love is the antithesis of Victoria's Secret. We believe the future is building a brand for every woman regardless of her shape, size, age, ethnicity, gender identity, or sexual orientation. This shouldn't be seen as groundbreaking. It should be the norm. Let's listen to women. Let's respect their intelligence. Let's exceed their expectations. Let women define themselves. As you said, Ed, we're nobody's third love. We're their first love. We are flattered for the mention, but let me be clear. We may not have been a woman's first love, but we will be her last. Third Love has their own issues. Interviews about the company allege that Zach's husband and co-CEO is highly involved with the day-to-day work and has a management style that's condescending and bullying. And I only say this because while their response to Victoria's Secret was pretty badass in the mindset I wish bra companies had, I don't want anyone walking away from this thinking Third Love is entirely free from allegations themselves. Now, before we continue on into some of their marketing controversies and just various other controversies Victoria's Secrets held, let's take a moment to thank today's sponsor. It is time to talk about HelloFresh, one of my favorite sponsors. They have made cooking so, like they've changed so much for me in the kitchen. Like I am so intimidated to go into a kitchen and they've just made me feel so much more comfortable and excited and eager to branch out and try new recipes and stuff. And it's really easy to do that because HelloFresh offers 50 menu and market items each week, including ready to eat salads, sandwiches, and soups. Things that are easy, simple to make, 15, 20, 30 minutes, and done, boom, food's ready. And for someone like me, it really is like baby steps into the kitchen. Like I can bake, I love baking, but I can't cook. And so this is the right kind of training wheels I need to make me feel confident so that I can cook in the kitchen. And I'm really grateful for that. And the food tastes great too. And HelloFresh's high quality fresh ingredients are sourced directly from growers and delivered from the farm to your front door in under a week. And it's contact free as per usual. So if you want to get started with HelloFresh today and regain some confidence back in the kitchen, make sure you go to hellofresh.com slash casket14 and use code casket14 for up to 14 free meals plus free shipping. Again, that's hellofresh.com slash casket14, use code casket14 for up to 14 free meals plus free shipping. This episode is also sponsored by Mint Mobile. Ring, 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 ring. Is it banana phone? No, it's Mint Mobile, baby. And Mint Mobile is the amazing wireless service that starts out at just 15 bucks a month. I think the most expensive plan is 30 bucks a month for unlimited everything, guys. 30 bucks a month, unlimited anything. And I obviously thought like, what's the catch? But after speaking with them and using their service for like, what are we on? Like six months, seven months, eight months? I don't know now. We've been on it for quite a few months now, but it really makes sense. It's just that there isn't a catch. Mint Mobile's secret ingredient is that they're the first company to sell wireless service online only. And by cutting out retail stores, there's no crazy overhead costs that get passed down to you in the form of mystery fees. And all of these plans are gonna come with unlimited talk and text, plus high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. And you can use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and keep your same phone number along, or you can get new ones if you'd like to. And if you're not 100% satisfied, Mint Mobile has you covered with their seven-day money-back guarantee. To get your new wireless plan started for just 15 bucks a month and get the plan shipped to your door for free, make sure you go to mintmobile.com slash casket. That's mintmobile.com slash casket. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash casket. Hey there, beautiful angels. Candace here, and I'm back to help you find your perfect size because I told you that is what we do together. This is the new Body by Victoria lounge bra. It's been made in new extended sizes that help support a bigger bust. So now we're going to a size 42G and I'm gonna help you find your perfect fit. Yet while it's obvious that Victoria's Secret as an employer isn't a champion of women, let's talk about them as a brand and as a company. As much as I truly hate to say this, I think one of the largest reasons that Victoria's Secret changed is because they needed to in order to keep making money. It sucks to say, but considering that their changes to be more inclusive have come around the time they've started to lose money, it shows that the sexual abuse truly didn't matter to executives at that company. According to a 2019 vanity article, the Victoria's Secret brand itself has waned in recent years as customers have begun to favor bralettes and body inclusiveness over push-up bras and washboard abs. Victoria's secret sales at stores open for at least a year have plunged 7% from the prior year quarter, marking an accelerated decline, according to CNBC. As for what their marketing used to be before they began changing, well, it's been bluntly stated as being patriarchal, sexist, viewing not just what it means to be sexy, but what the clothes were trying to accomplish through the male lens and through what men desired. The brand only celebrated sexy, refusing to offer maternity or post-maternity bras, yet offering push-up sports bras. One source, The Personality and Social Psychology, even warned back in 2008 that their advertising wasn't just not inclusive, but harmful. If you want to see the full research behind this academic paper, it will be in my sources below, but here's pretty much what the conclusion states. It seems clear that exposure to societal messages that reflect the sociocultural norm for ideal appearance has a negative effect on women. We suggest that repeated exposure to such images in our society leads women to measure their self-worth by their appearance, accounting for their widespread body dissatisfaction and self-consciousness. Given the pervasiveness of these media messages, the results from study one can be seen as disheartening. However, the findings from study two are more hopeful. They suggest that challenging the legitimacy of these social cultural norms may help break the cycle in which these norms increase appearance contingent self-esteem, thereby allowing women to become more accepting and less self-conscious about their own physical appearance. Even though we might know logically that diversity and inclusivity is important to give everyone a voice, I find this research incredibly valuable. Again, it proves that Victoria's Secret's advertising could truly be considered harmful. Their highly sexualized advertisements were tone deaf enough, but in 2014, as if to expose to the world how little they care about women, their ad campaign featured the slogan, the perfect body. All of the women featured in this ad campaign were all similarly built, thin, leggy, tall, and with a large bust, the same proportions Victoria's Secret has advertised for years. And to be clear, If you are a thin, leggy, tall woman with a large bust, that's great, but if you're short, if you have a small bust, if you're overweight, or literally anything and everything in between, that doesn't mean you can't love yourself. These ads do nothing but create an unrealistic beauty standard that can't be applied to all women. I know the words unrealistic beauty standard are incredibly overused, but here I feel that they truly do apply. This incredibly narrow box is damaging, though it's hardly a surprise that this happened at all, given who was running Victoria's Secret for decades. They've also been accused of cultural appropriation multiple times throughout the years. At one point, Victoria's Secret featured far more Asian models, which may have seemed like a more inclusive move, but Jeff Yang at the Wall Street Journal argued that it was only done to promote to consumers in China, Japan, Korea, and Southeast Asia. What worries me is that the success of Asian American designers and models are becoming fashion's alibi for its continued problems with race," says Min Ha Pham, assistant professor in Cornell University's history of art and visual studies department and curator of the online multicultural style history archive of another fashion. It's like the industry is saying, how could we possibly be racist if we're giving Jason Wu and Alexander Wang tons of awards? Jezebel also pointed to Victoria's Secret sexy little geisha outfit in 2012, explaining that it was quickly pulled after sparking outrage. Minnie Nguyen, an associate professor of women's and Asian American studies said that the collection was a set of stereotypical images that use racist transgression to create an exotic edge and pointed out that none of the models wearing this collection were Asian. It seems Victoria's Secret only wanted to be inclusive when it suited their narrative. They also issued an apology that same year, 2012, when model Carly Kloss walked onto the runway wearing a Native American headdress during the fashion show. One article at the time wrote, "'Historically, headdresses are a symbol of respect "'worn by Native American war chiefs and warriors. "'For Great Plains tribes, for instance, "'each feather placed on a headdress has significance "'and had to be earned through an act "'of compassion or bravery.'" Navajo Nation spokesperson Ernie Sa said, We have gone through the atrocities to survive and ensure our way of life continues. Any mockery, whether it's Halloween, Victoria's Secret, they are spitting on us. They are spitting on our culture and it's upsetting. Thousands of people have commented about the outfit on the company's Facebook page. Some praised Kloss' attire as artistic and urged those offended by it to get over it. Others were clearly angry at the insensitivity. You'd think that Victoria's Secret would learn and be like, hey, this is clearly upsetting people. Let's just stick to lingerie rather than headdresses. Yet somehow they didn't learn. In 2017, their fashion show features a segment with yet again, Native American inspired headdresses, large feathers, beading, and Navajo inspired patterns. At the time, one article from Nylon stated the obvious. People were sick of apologies for bad behavior. Victoria's Secret needed to truly change. Of course, their quality falling was another issue. And during the pandemic, they even closed some stores, cut back on new inventory, and didn't pay rent for the month of April. Sycamore Partners, the private equity firm that agreed to take a majority stake in Victoria's Secret earlier this year is now suing Victoria's Secret for having done so though, as far as I can tell at this moment. The lawsuit has been dropped. Elbrand said they wanted to focus on navigating the crisis rather than litigation and Sycamore ultimately agreed. Wexner stepped down around this time as well and this is when Victoria's Secret began to actually make said changes they so desperately need. So what have they done? And are they actually any better now? Well, Victoria's Secret hired seven women famous for their achievements. The New York Times writes, they include Megan Rapinoe, a 35-year-old pink-haired soccer star and gender equity campaigner. Eileen Gu, a 17-year-old Chinese-American freestyle skier and soon to be Olympian. The 29-year-old biracial model and inclusivity advocate, Paloma Elsesser, who was the rare size 14 woman on the cover of Vogue. And Priyanka Chopra Jones, a 38-year-old Indian actor and tech investor they will be spearheading what may be the most extreme and unabashed attempt at a brand turnaround in recent memory, an effort to redefine the version of sexy that Victoria's Secret represents and sells to the masses. For decades, Victoria's Secret scantily clad supermodels with Jessica Rabbit curves epitomized a certain widely accepted stereotype of femininity. Now, with that kind of imagery out of step with the broader culture and Victoria's Secret facing increased competition and internal turmoil, the company wants to become, its chief executive said, a leading global advocate for female empowerment. Mejas hasn't been the CEO of Victoria's Secret for long. This change is overdue, but at least they acknowledge now that Victoria's Secret desperately needed to catch up. But are the company's intentions truly to move away from their old marketing because it was damaging or because it isn't making them money anymore? It's probably a bit more of the latter and that's just business for you, but I could also be a bit jaded. On their website, I do see more body types in their lingerie, so that seems to be a step in the right direction at least. Some sources argue that conservatives actually have been against this move though. And according to The Independent, perhaps predictably conservatives and straight men are very, very upset. Following the announcement, a flood of social media users began to confidently predict that the lingerie company would soon go bankrupt thanks to such a losing marketing strategy, reviving a popular slogan on the right wing, go woke, go broke. "'This is going to fail so spectacularly "'and soon will be the go-to example of go woke, go broke,' declared Free Beacon contributor Noah Pollock. Conservative pundit Jesse Kelly went even further. "'Some of the dumbest people "'run the most powerful companies on earth, "'and it's hilarious watching them destroy themselves,' he tweeted. "'Megan Rapinoe, nobody likes feminists, nobody. "'Even other feminists hate feminists. "'They're the least appealing people on the planet.'" The go woke, go broke phase is largely a myth, but look, if you think Victoria's Secret is just going woke so that they stay alive or that they've actually realized their mistakes, that's up to you. In my opinion, they're taking a step in the right direction with their marketing, but time will ultimately tell if this move is too little too late, though recently their shares have risen, sales are up, and COO Andrew Meslow has stated that they care about the company being a safe environment. And I hope that's the truth. I hope the days of Wexner are behind them and with him gone, Victoria's Secret can become a brand for all women that choose to wear it. At the same time, I'd say that still be wary. But with all of that being said, that's where I'm going to end today's episode of The Corporate Casket. I hope you enjoyed it, and if you did, make sure you're liking, following, and subscribing so that you can stay up to date on all the recent episodes. And if you wanna connect with me outside of these episodes, make sure to check out my Linktree link. It's just an organized little link list of all of my social media, including my Twitter, Instagram, Discord server, Twitch, you name it, all those things will be there. So thank you all so much for making it to another episode. I love you all, and I'll see you in the next one. Bye.